My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Russ Farshtick. Welcome to the Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. This week, we're talking about a whole bunch of stuff. We've got an indie video game that y'all have been just cheering to get on the show called Cobalt Core. And uh, in the front of the episode, we're going to be answering a question that I've had, which is, how did Rocksteady, the video game developer, go from the hit Batman trilogy to Suicide Squad with the founders of the studio no longer even working at the studio? In fact, they just this past week opened a new studio. How the hell did that happen? We're going to answer that question. But before we do that, we have some very pressing business to get to to find out who is going to get some video game art in their, I guess, video game Christmas stocking that is uh, has not been cleaned up and is still just kind of hanging right over the uh, the mantle waiting to, to, be, to be distributed. Yeah. To, uh, to bring people up to speed, if you're not uh, up to speed, Plant and I have an annual bet regarding predictions and who gets more predictions right wins some sort of prize. And this year, the prize was video game art. Now, if you listen to the last episode of The Resties, you would know that Chris Plant got two correct. Uh, and I um, made, I basically had two edge cases and <laughs> sure, made sure, arguments. Sure for why I got two correct. I think one of them in my heart, I was pretty confident about. The other one, I I did my absolute best of, of trying to sell the point. Um, and then I, I threw it to good old democracy to determine whether I had tied Chris Plant or whether I had lost. And uh, we left it up to you, the fans, in the newsletter. So please, Chris Plant, what was the verdict Okay, so right now the score is zero to two, but you have a shot to tie it. That's right. It's the first poll result. You predicted Yoshi will appear in the credits of the Mario movie. I said, I don't know much about that. I saw an egg at the end, but who's to say what was (laughs) in that egg? I am happy to report for you, the audience agreed with you. Yes. 75% of our audience believes Yoshi did appear in the credits in the movie. 2,790 people voted, which is a, a decisive um, uh, amount of people, I think, for such I a I think you could question. become a state senator with that number of votes. I think, I think you're right, actually. I think, I think you just won Iowa. Um, so um, congratulations. That, that brings you up to one to two. One to two, yes. And now the final poll. You said Mineru counts as a... Is that how it's pronounced? Mineru? Uh, well, you're the one learning Japanese, but I always thought it was Mineru. I think it is probably said vocally in the game at one point, but I don't it's remember. So I always say Mineru. Anyway, okay. the robot yes. character. Sure. Counts as a playable character in The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And you made you made an effort at this. You really, you. really did. And that's why I am astonished. To say that you did lose, but twenty seven percent of people were convinced by your your effort. Which thank you so much to the twenty seven percent. I really do appreciate your support. Yeah, I, I I think um the top uh comment uh from Patrick on our issue uh when Russ rides a horse he thinks wow I am a horse now 
um, <laughs> really sums up the flaw in your argument. Um, so I would like to thank. Well, uh, no, I, I think to put it put it another way, was Epona a playable character in uh, Ocarina of Time? Which I acknowledge is a little bit of a silly argument uh-huh. to make. But then yeah. again, Epona is an animal. It, it is not uh, a human being or a human esque being. Uh, though I guess Minoru isn't either because Minoru is kind of a robot. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, congratulations to me. Thank you. Okay, uh, good um, work to you. Um, uh, <laughs> it was a close one. Uh, I think last year it was like a half. Uh, we I lost by like a half a point. I think so. Um, so it's been tight. Uh, both years that we've done it um yeah and you're already off to a better start this year actually i'm not (laughs) you're not i thought one of your bets was that um a steam os would appear on a portable handheld console and that's that's, right that happened right so uh, the company named aya neo announced that they would be releasing the very first handheld that has steam os coming installed pre-installed into it and they had to submit a correction to their press release. And all of these sites, including The Verge, had to update their stories because it's not technically SteamOS. It is like an indie offshoot of SteamOS called ISO something that I forget. Wow. But it is not technically SteamOS. It's like built off of SteamOS. So I you know, I could probably fight it, wow. but I, I, I'm not sure that it's a win. It was like gri- r- ripped from my jaws as a potential win. Wow, that is fantastic. The, the, yeah. Honestly, this just gets better. Um, <laughs> well, we'll think about how um, how I'm going to get this prize. Maybe people have some ideas and they can let us know. But I, I want to get to the show and we can start talking about some Batman and Cobalt Core. That sound good to you? Love it. Okay, we're back. So, Frush, the new Suicide Squad game is finally coming out. And, you know, there's a lot of times where you're like, hey, the game is finally coming out. And, yeah, it's because it got delayed like six months. Suicide Squad has been kind of in the ether for, it feels like forever. Um, It didn't even start really at Rocksteady Studios. It has just been this endless journey. So, I guess in honor of it, a game that I am like, I really hope is good. I'm being cautious, though, with my heart. <laughs> um, I I wanted to look back and be like, how did we get here? How did we get from Batman to Suicide Squad? Does that and I, and sound? I, yeah, that sounds great. I do want to, like, take a minute, and maybe this is part of it, Yeah, to say that, like, I think the Batman trilogy is, like, one of the best video game trilogies ever made. Uh, it features the maybe the best third person like action combat i've ever experienced um really great like narrative uh really amazing voice acting uh pretty gorgeous to look at um i yeah i mean i i think it started to fall off a little bit towards the third game but honestly overall i think taken as a whole that series is is spectacular and so i it's fair to say that i was tremendously excited for whatever they were going to do next and i know a lot of people had a lot of theories but i don't think they were expecting where this game is going yeah um that original trilogy it took seven years to create and release that entire trilogy that is the same amount of time that it's taken to go from that trilogy to suicide squad wait 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 wait. development for arkham asylum 
Get ready for this. Get ready for yeah. this. This is a story of like how scope of AAA games has changed. It is how the culture of video game development has changed. Uh, and I think like most of all, as we go through this, you're going to see this is the story of uh, financial expectations of video games changing like wild. Um, That's, so I'm, I'm excited. To start it off, the year is 2004, and we're not even at Rocksteady Games. We are at a place called Argonaut Games, which have you heard of Argonaut Games? Have you played oh. any Argonaut Games? Wasn't Argonaut the studio that Dylan Cuthbert worked at? I don't believe so, because okay. Argonaut is responsible for IP churn. Um, oh, gosh. In the year of 2000 and 2004, they released 15 games. <laughs> 15. That include Harry Potter, Bionicle, Alien Resurrection. They are pumping this stuff out. Okay, and so, to my credit, Dylan Cuthbert started Argonaut Software... So in close. 1988, when he was 17 years old, unrelated. <laughs> totally unrelated, just like okay. how Rocksteady and Rockstar are not the same thing. Yes, for sure. Um, so Rocksteady that year, 2004, is founded. Um, and um, this this year, 100 people from Argonaut are laid off. Um, the company is basically going underwater. And these two founders who are senior people at Argonaut are like, hey, we're going to open our own studio. It's called Rocksteady. We've got some funding from this publisher called SCI, who owns like, I think like a quarter stake of it. And uh, hey, the people from Argonaut, you want to come over here? You know how to make games quick, right? I'm like, yes. And they come over and they make a little game called Not Batman. They make Urban Chaos Riot Response. Oh, yeah, I played that game. Yes, which... I have to read the the summary from Wikipedia for you because it really gets at how they were clearly built to make a Batman game, even if that was not their original intention. The summary of Urban Chaos, Riot Response, which a hell of a title of its time. <clears throat> the player controls Nick Mason, a member of the newly formed T-Zero Riot Control Squad in an unnamed modern American city that has been overtaken by the notorious Burners Gang. The gang members, armed with cleavers, Molotov bombs, and firearms, are attacking civilians, paramedics, firefighters, and police officers. <laughs> and it is up to him to stop them. He must defeat them by whatever means necessary in order for t to protect the city, capturing gang leaders, and rescuing injured civilians along the way. You are just Batman. That it is, is like, a first-person game, though, so that's obviously like a big shift from their later stuff. It's wild because you also do play as basically a cop, a firefighter, and a paramedic in the game. Um, it Are you claiming that Batman is all three of those things? I would say at on his best day, he aspires <laughs> to be those things. And on his worst day, he's mostly just a shitty detective vigilante. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so all of that comes out, right? It doesn't really like light the world on fire. People like me are weirdos who collected it because it's such an oddity of a game. Yet SCI, that company that had a quarter stake in them, they merge with Eidos. And at the exact same time, this is now 2007, a year later, Eidos gets the right to Batman and Rocksteady's over here like, Hey, we know how to make a Batman type of game. Like, look at what we just I mean, put out sort of. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so they're like, hey, you get it. You have a concept. Um, let's begin production on it. And by before the end of 2007, they're rolling. 
And by 2009, they have a game. They have Batman Arkham Asylum. And that is how quick they go from making, you know, games like junk Harry Potter Bionicle. Five years later, they're shipping what I think is like a defining video game of its era. That is uh, fucking crazy that it was that quick. I mean, the scale of Arkham Asylum is actually pretty narrow, especially considering how big the other two games got. But it is so... It feels so perfect and refined that like the other games do not change the core of that loop that dramatically. Would you call it a Metroidvania? I think so, right? Like it's, it's it has those yeah, there's not as there's not as much uh, ba- although there is backtracking it doesn't seem like the core of I guess I would. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not that precious about genres, so it's fine. Um Yeah. I, I mean, I love I, it for for a lot of the similar reasons that I love Metroidvanias insofar as like you're in this one big open area that is slowly opening itself up to you as you get more, more gear and things. Yes, I I think I think that's right. I also think Metroidvanias now we almost take for granted how popular the genre is again these days. Yeah, like then it you know we were desperate for whatever we could get. So yeah, there were very few influence. back then. Yeah, yeah like for sure. It's that Shadow Complex, I think, comes out around this time. Um, not a whole lot else. Yeah, so, it, was, it was pretty light. There are people who see this game and they credit it with like part of Batman's huge rise to success. It's a little murky on whether it's the game or, you know, the immensely popular <laughs> popular film trilogy that is also. Yeah, I think. Time. Yeah, I think it was. Oh, we'll call it a little bit of both, but. In terms right. of mainstream success, obviously the movies, uh, the Nolan movies did a lot. Yes. So uh, that comes out 2009. Less than a year later, Warner Brothers, the owners of the Batman franchise, are like, hey, we want to get into the video game state space. Can we just buy Rocksteady outright? And they do. They just gobble them up, which, you know, that's pretty common now, but... At the time, that was a pretty bold move to see a uh, a studio like that trying to really make a move into the space. There were a few others who did this in like Disney Interactive, uh, and that went bust. But it is not as like popular as it is now. So we have Warner Brothers making, and now we're just on the roll. 2011, Batman: Arkham City comes out. Uh, they immediately begin work on Arkham Knight. There is, for the record, for those paying attention, two years between Batman: Arkham Asylum and Bat- Batman: Arkham City. Um, crazy. Yeah. Which, so about that at the time, did that feel fast or did that just feel normal to you? I think it felt a little fast, especially once we saw what the, um, the, how much, how much bigger the scope was in the second game. It felt a little fast. It wasn't like, how is this even possible? This game is going to be totally shit because it was rushed out the door so quickly, but it definitely seemed like a little bit fast. Yeah, I, I think now, obviously, seven to eight years feels like a long time for a video game, like what happened with Suicide Squad. But four years for this sort of thing is not surprising. Yeah, I, right. For a sequel, for I think four years these days for like, especially for a sequel to like something that was very critically acclaimed that did really well, four years is kind of the norm. But for context, for people back then, this was like kind of common. We had Call of Duty shipping every year. We had Tony Hawk coming out regularly. And if you had like a hot hand, you kept shipping. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, with Call of Duty, there were two studios, but again, even they were shipping at least once every two years. 
yeah. were kind of alternating. So, I mean, if you was... look at, uh, again, like, I think because they nailed the core of it so strongly with uh, Arkham Asylum, and they had to change so little of that, they were just doing, like, additive things that honestly probably came up in the testing of the first game and they weren't able to fit in. The biggest challenge was really just, like, can we pull off a giant open city versus what was essentially just like one area that was very well developed in the first game. Um, but the core mechanics were all like baked and barely touched for the second game, seemingly. Yeah. So it comes out, it is immensely popular. Again, like Fresh said, bringing this kind of Metroidvania feel into a much larger setting, right as open world games are becoming kind of the default of popular game design. Uh, a year later, it's 2012 now, and like, Work has begun on Arkham Knight, and we find out that the writer of the first two stories, Paul Denny, says he won't be back for the third. Um, at this point, it sounds like he was not invited back, and Rocksteady was going to move on with its internal writers, which is not so unusual. Again, the studio is getting bigger. Um, it makes sense that it would have its own full-time narrative staff, but it's a bit of a change. Um, another change, 2013. Warner Brothers releases another Batman game, but this time not from Rocksteady. So like we said, um, to kind of keep a game or a hot property in the market, uh, publishers would often bring in a second or even third studio mm -hmm. um, to ship like other annual games. So this is an annual. This is really every two years at this point. But we're getting one from uh, WB Montreal, and this is Batman Arkham Origins. Um, Which... And if I recall yeah. correctly, that game came out and technically was a total mess. Bugs yes. out the wazoo, etc. But has since, I actually haven't played it, but I've heard that it has since made quite the resurgence and people really love it. I think it's like very similar to the uh, Fallout New Vegas story of like technical problems at launch. But for those that stuck with it and like were able to get through the patches, like if you played it today, sounds like you'd have a really good time. Yeah, it's pretty beloved amongst the hardcore fan community. And the fan community around these games is, <laughs> is certainly hardcore. Um, and they also, for what it's worth, like that game pulls almost everything about the like combat and the exploration. They added certainly new stuff. I know there's new detective stuff in that game. But the core of that, again, pulls from the Arkham series pretty directly. Yeah, here's, here's something I just did not remember at all until I was digging into this. That it's a Christmas game? One, that it's a Christmas game. Thank you. Um, and two, that it ends with a Suicide Squad, like, assembling hook. I did that not know Suicide that. Suicide Squad are going to get together. This is 2013. Wow. And we are teasing that, right? Um, so behind the scenes, somebody is beginning to get to work on a Suicide Squad game, but it's unclear who. Yeah. Um, 2014, Arkham Knight. The new um, game from Rocksteady is revealed. Um, release is scheduled for October. Later, it's bumped to June uh, of 2015, and then uh, kind of full mid-2015. Um, and then 2015, it, it does come out. It actually ships the end of the trilogy. It is humongous. You can drive the Batmobile now, and the Batmobile comes in two modes, a fast car and a terrifying tank. It is huge. It runs like absolute garbage on PC. <laughs> I think this is not Rocksteady's fault. I believe that this was an issue with a porting house, but woof was it rough. But otherwise, 
people really, really enjoyed this game. Were you you were on the side of like this game is excellent, right? I was on the side of this game is pretty good, but not as good as Arkham City. I thought it was a step back. I didn't really like the like tank Batmobile minigame stuff. It just felt a little bloated. Um, it's funny you mentioned the technical problems too, because just recently Warner Brothers released a um, Batman trilogy port to the Switch. So you can play all three games on the Switch. Apparently the Arkham Knight version on the Switch runs like fiery dog shit. There's a great video <laughs> by uh, Digital Foundry that shows it dropping to like 12 frames a second as you're driving through the city. And at some points we'll just like freeze for three seconds. <laughs> so uh, it's good to know that that uh, legacy lives on. I played yeah. it on like PS4 or something. It, it ran fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, a fun thing about Batman Arkham Knight as it's coming out, um, the game director, Sefton Hill, who is, again, a co-founder at Rocksteady, is asked, you know, is there going to be multiplayer? It's 2015. Everything has multiplayer, right? And his response was, this is a single-player game. There is no multiplayer. Right at the start, this was our vision. It's going to take all of our effort for all of this time. We don't have the time to do multiplayer. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be really important. When we talk about what's coming up <laughs> book, next. Bookmark that. <laughs> book, yeah, save. Uh, hang a little lantern right there. Um, and then, hey, knowing Rocksteady, it's on to the next thing. And the next thing is a VR game. 2016, Batman Arkham VR. You thought you were going to talk about Suicide Squad? Hell no. <laughs> They're not working on Suicide Squad. They're working on a v PSVR exclusive that received near universal middling reviews. Um, and at the same time, keep the odds going, Warner Brothers Montreal, it turns out they were making a Suicide Squad game and it is canceled. So Sad. Can't get worse than that. Um, I guess that's what they were teasing when they ended Origins. Definitely. They were teasing the game they were working on, yeah. 100%. Um, so 2017, Suicide Squad, it's out in the market. Rocksteady is like, great. That's what we want to do. do you, okay, so that's do. that's a good question, though. Do you think the creative team at Rocksteady was like, we definitely want to do Suicide Squad, or do you think Warner Brothers came to them, given the fact that Warner Brothers owns them, and, and they were like, you have to do this new franchise. I, you have to do Suicide Squad. I'm so glad you asked. Because <laughs> I don't have the answer, but I have something close. There was this persistent rumor, and it, and it hasn't really died, that Rocksteady wanted to make a Superman game, or that maybe even they were making a Superman game. Right, I've heard this. Right? And that is false. Um, our pal Jason Schreier has reported this at Bloomberg from people close to the company that that was just never the case. Not only did the game not happen, it was not going to happen. They had begun work on a multiplayer game in an original franchise. Is that still alive? I mean, if it started in 2016, 2017, my guess is no, but can't say for sure. It seems like they would have just, if they were working on multiplayer, maybe that's what Suicide Squad became. Uh, possible. That's very possible. Um, because, yeah, in, in 2018, um, things just kind of continued to go sour. I think a, another issue for them is like just this question of what are they doing right they're not doing batman they're uh they're not doing vr clearly anymore 
Um, they don't have uh, another studio that is doing the Suicide Squad game that is going to be connected to this Batman universe. And also their, you know, work environment does not seem to be doing well. There is this letter um, that is shared with Rocksteady executives privately. Um, and uh, according to a report from The Guardian, uh, over half of the studio's female employees raised con serious concerns of sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior. And two years later, that report actually gets published publicly. That's when this Guardian report comes out. Um, and it, it's a total mess. Um, there's a bunch of claims that like Rocksteady didn't respond well enough to um, this letter. Um, one signatory said that there was only like a one-hour seminar in response to it. Um, Rocksteady responded um, by posting an unsolicited letter from what it said was seven of the original signatories, but now in 2020, saying that things had improved, and it just becomes this whole mess. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really just miserable sadly I, I think, a very familiar story at this point. yeah i think i think the more <laughs> concerning thing about this is they can they say it's half the women who worked at rocksteady um and there were 10 signatories which would suggest that like 20 women worked at a 200 person studio which yeah like, also sadly uh sounds familiar yeah Sucks, uh, i mean it just sounds like at that time yeah uh you know the, the ratio was even worse back then yes and it's um, still not great so it's bad. Things continue to be bad there, and they only get worse. Um, by 2022, uh, the studio actually does announce the game, uh, which is a hell of a pivot from like behind-the-scenes uh, problems to this silly game that's going to ship. Um, and uh, they announce it uh, in March, uh, and it's delayed from 2022 to early 2023. Mm -hmm. um and uh around and i want to say like when yeah. the game was announced i remember seeing that trailer and it was like a silly whatever suicide oh, yeah. squad harley quinn trailer that's fine i was pretty jazzed about it i mean nothing in that trailer was like oh i'm like blown away by this but i knew rocksteady i knew rocksteady's pedigree and I was, you know, I kind of like trusted them to do like really high quality stuff. So if it was going to happen with Suicide Squad, fine. That's, you know, something different than Batman. That could be interesting. Um, so I was kind of on board at this point. Yeah. And then um, then we kind of find out what the game is and who even works at Rock City anymore. Yeah. Um, that year, um, the co-founders, uh, the same two who had left Argonaut to found Rocksteady, leave Rocksteady. Um, and the release date for the game uh, at the Game Awards gets uh, announced that it's going to be May 2023. And I think it's around this time that we start to get an idea of what the game is. By February 2023, I know for a fact we know what it is. We find out the game is multiplayer and it has a battle pass. And I feel like that's when <laughs> the expectations of this game just start to plummet. Well, I think there was, I think the really backbreaking moment uh bane if you will was the moment when they showed gameplay there was a gameplay trailer that they released that showed like a good 15 minutes of like intercut gameplay that was riddled with it was like third person action and then like live uh you know gear score items that had like 
loot score t- attached to them. And then you mentioned, yeah, the battle pass and none of it looked fun. It all looked like really kind of schlocky. And you know what it reminded me of was that um, we've talked about it a few times and I'd always, I always blank on it. That EA mech game that oh, like Anthem, it looked like Anthem. Yeah, Which no I mean, one wanted Anthem when it came out, and, and this looked like more Anthem, but with Suicide Squad characters. That was always the problem with this game and with the, the Avengers. When people would talk about these games long before they were shown, you don't have to be a, a major game designer to understand the inherent challenge of just getting one superhero right yeah. is really tough. Just getting Spider-Man right has taken, you know, dozens of Spider-Man games across decades. And to do a game where you're going to let players play as multiple superheroes is tough. I, honestly, I think Guardians of the Galaxy uh, by Square probably did the best job of this. And that was by kind of putting you as one ga- person who has a, you know, a helper superheroes. There's also another key difference there. Guardians of the Galaxy was a narrative single player only game. And was not built around the idea of a living service game that would encourage people to play for like five to ten years long. Like right. the whole, all of these games, Anthem, and in this case, Suicide Squad, were built around the mentality of trying to capture the Fortnite thing of we're going to make a game that never dies. And not only is it hard to make multiple characters playable and super fun, it's really fucking hard to make a game that people want to play for five or ten years in a row. Um, so they were really doing a big challenge on this one. Yes. And and again, getting to the superhero part of it, the answer seemed to be when the video came out, we'll just make it Destiny. Give them all guns. Um, so you take all these likable characters and then they all, from a distance, look quite the same i think yeah. the final product is going to be a, a bit different than that um but uh, again you, re- you really think so time, because the because that trailer came out and like the game got delayed like a year yeah but what can you really do in a year for a game that big so i think what they've done so far from what i've seen is it's much more about um movement and the characters display their uniqueness through how they move around the world sure um so do i think that's like as good as the character just being entirely different, right? Um, no, I don't. But I think at least it's not like, you know, um, palette swaps, like in the original Mortal Kombat, where it's like, well, and here's the blue one, and here's the green one, and here's the yeah. red one. Um, uh, so, okay, so that, all that happens, we're now in 2023. People have seen that this game is not what they were hoping for. It is nothing close to what Rocksteady had really built its identity around, which as the director of Batman Arkham Knight had said, you know, we do single player. We're going to do that really well. Um, you know, third person close up action. No, it's it's not going to be that. Um, so by April, the reaction has been so rough and uh, Rocksteady announces it's delaying the game again, this time to February uh, 2nd. 2024 um and by december they announced that there will be an offline mode that will come after launch and it just at this point feels like it's full 
let's just make some concessions. Let's try to get this game into a place, ideally before launch. You know, how often do we see this with with games now where the game launches and then two years later, uh, a place like ours publishes a story like, hey, the game's good now. Yeah. Um, It feels like they're trying to pull that off before the game's even out. Um, But they do a preview event in December and it goes, I mean, just terrible. IGN completely slams it. And IGN is not like the outlet that I associate with like slamming games during. No, I, it was a pretty universal. I think almost everyone that is like from a, a pretty big media organization played the game and, and, and walked away pretty disappointed from it. Yeah. Um, so here we are. 2024. <clears throat> the game is nearly out. Um, so the game was previewed we started this talking about your cautious optimism the game was previewed in December Uh two months before the game is actually out is what are your odds that this game somehow pulls a Hail Mary and uh, and succeeds and comes out and is a it turns out to be a pretty good game Um, pretty good game I I would put somewhere between like one to two percent Okay. <laughs> um, you know, like that's just me. I don't know. I've been yeah. proven wrong before. That said, I was skeptical of Guardians of the Galaxy before I played it. And that's true. I ended up liking that quite a bit. Um, I think that there's a very real chance that this is a, to use the score methodology, like a six out of 10, a seven out of 10. Sure. It has some ideas in it that people who love it really love it and as somebody who really loves crackdown games even the most recent one i look at it and i see a little bit of that crackdown juice in it and i could see a world where i i really get into it and do you Um, think it's gonna have the like no man's sky slash you know a cyberpunk revival in that way i would be stunned yeah um, just because that's what the last year, you know, they, they, they've spent a lot of time trying to get the game right. And I have to imagine that if the game comes out and it does not do well right away, that, you know, that's when you cut your losses. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a, it is a big property. So maybe it comes out and they advertise it during a whole bunch of, you know, like basketball games uh, this winter and it sells well and then that can motivate them to spend even more money on doing some post launch updates. I don't know. I, 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 I wouldn't fully count this game out. Um, I try not to in general, but especially with this one, there's still a window. I think to this game being a success. I just, it's, it's closing. I am extremely curious. Like genuinely I'm looking forward to playing it just because it's been such a long journey. And like for it to come out, I could finally like see what it ended up as. But yeah, I'm not I'm not uh, holding out hope too much. Yes. And uh, and we kind of end where we started, which is Rocksteady's two founders, just as they did with Argonaut Games, have a new studio and they're hiring up some folks from Rocksteady. Uh, Do we have a sense of what sort of project they're working on? I it's a good question. It's called A Hundred Star Games. Um, and it, it, yeah, it obviously sounds quite similar to their strategy when forming Rocksteady. Here's one big difference. Um, this time around, they've said that they want to limit the studio to 100 people. Um, huh. Currently, they only have 25. So that would 
suggest that they don't want to do this again. Whatever yeah, this they want to focus on smaller projects. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, I do wonder for them if, for better and worse, the the die was cast from the beginning with the studio. They didn't have big money. <laughs> you know, they were coming from uh, Argonaut, which was in trouble and was, you know, in massive constant crunch. They had that 25% stake owned by SCI. They get bought they emerge with Eidos. They get bought by Warner Brothers. They never really have control, and yeah. and for them that was probably okay when they you know were making the Batman games. But as the market shifted, and I mean, wow, you can look at Suicide Squad and you see a game that sure looks like some meddling from a publisher that wants for something sure. huge. I mean, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Maybe this is what they wanted to make, but it sure feels like uh, a large publisher um, having strong opinions about where they want their investments. And by keeping it small, I am, I'm very curious what they can do. It sounds like there obviously were still cultural issues at Rocksteady. And I, I hope that they've done the work to, to improve that this time around. Um, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be very curious to see what they do next. Um, and I, I, yeah, I have no idea what it will be beyond that. I like to think that if they get 200 employees and then like someone shows up, they have to like shoot someone else out of a shoot. Like they have to <laughs> launch them from the office. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Looney Tunes style where they're always safe. Right. And they're, you know, and they're uh, just like pointing at the sign, like hundred stars. Sorry, yes. Jeff. <laughs> 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 Is it always Jeff Keeley trying to join? He's like, oh, I, yeah, yeah, I really Keighley. thought this was my team to join. And they're like, oh, sorry, we just hired the 100th person yesterday. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Put on your goggles. Put on your helmet. We're going <laughs> to fire you out of a cannon, Jeff. Right into the comfort of an IMAX screen. Um, hey, we did it. We talked about I th- I think we. I think we answered the question. You filled in so many blanks. You did a great job on the research, Chris Plant, Thank as you. always. I'm very impressed. And that was... Very interesting and educational. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, I guess we're going to play this game soon. But <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to take a break. Um, I want to come back and I want to hear all about Cobalt Core because people in um, besties.fan comments have been cheering this game for a while. And it looks, I honestly, it doesn't look like exactly my type of game, but it looks very your type of game. And I love when you're excited about something. Yeah. Um, so let's do it. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. Okay, so yes, as as Chris Plant mentioned, Cobalt Core has been something that folks in the newsletter comments have been asking us to talk about for quite a while. Now, chances are when they were asking, they were probably asking Justin to play it because he is the lord and master when it comes to these, I guess, TCG collectible card game type games like Slate the Spire and Monster Train, stuff like that. He's played almost all of them. I've certainly dipped into a few of them. Uh, I know Chris Plant's tried a few, but he is probably the most hardcore of them. I will say that I have not gotten into one of these games for probably... I think the last one that I liked was um, Inscription, which was like a mix of a whole bunch of different genres, but obviously had this like card mechanic to it. But I really haven't played one since, even though Justin keeps recommending others to me. And it turns out I've been missing out because this game is scratching so many itches for me. And I am 
really, really enjoying it. So how exactly does it work? Okay, so the best way I can describe it is it is if you've played FTL, which is like a great uh, pixelated uh, space sim exploration roguelite mixed with Sway the Spire, which is obviously a card-based RPG roguelike. And if you kind of mash those two together, you get something pretty close to Cobalt Core. Um, the way it works is before you start a run, you basically pick your crew. Crew is made up of three aliens. Uh, this whole game is like designed in kind of cutesy pixel graphics, very similar to FTL actually. And each of the uh, creatures that you have on your ship determines the deck, the sort of cards that you're going to be seeing as you're on this journey. So for example, one of the uh, creatures specializes in a deck that's built around dodging attacks. So you'll see a lot of cards that will give you more ability to dodge your ship, dodge attacks, so on and so forth. Another one maybe is focused on like dropping turrets in front of you. So you'll, uh, you know, drop an attack turret or a healing turret or something like that. And so with the, these three characters, you're constantly trying to come up with synergies that'll basically propel you to the end of these runs. Um, yeah, that's sort of like the the basics of it. But obviously, there's a lot of complexity as you go through missions. You'll unlock new cards for these characters. You'll get artifacts very similar to say, Slay the Spire, where, for example, an artifact would be like the first attack you make bypasses any shields. So it'll pier pierce the shields of your enemy and uh, and kind of allow you to get a jump on the uh, on that combat round. What can talk me through the art? Because oh, yeah. How how is it? Is it cute? Is it furry cute? Is it like what is it? Yeah, it, it's cute. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say furry cute, which kind of indicates to me like a little more kawaii, which this isn't necessarily that. Um, this looks like 16-bit era pixelated. I mean, there are cute little animals and things, but it's not necessarily like cute, cute, I should say. It's kind of in the in-between. Which works. I mean, I, I'm I'm into it. I think that probably the surprising thing for me w is that there's like a pretty strong narrative behind all of this. They do the thing that Hades does, which is they build the fact that it's constantly looping into the narrative itself. So as you're doing runs and you say, uh, come up against a specific enemy that you fought before, the crew might make a comment like, oh, it's this guy again. Uh, should we do what we did last time? And so they have these kind of back and forths that kind of propel the story forward. And then as you finish other runs, you're unlocking um, the backstory of each of the characters. So if you win a run, you can pick of your three crew members what little backstory you want to unlock for that character. And then eventually you get the whole backstory for that character and you can kind of keep going and it encourages you to try new people. I like that. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. I, I, think, I think from a gameplay side... I'm just really impressed because it has a much more tactical and tactile sense compared to a game like Slay the Spire, which I really like mechanically speaking, but it is still like playing cards. But here, there are mechanics where you are earning currencies that actually allow you to physically move your ship or move like the turrets you're placing in space to, for example, dodge an attack or a position like your laser gun such that it's going to line up and perfectly attack the guy you're, you're facing. And positioning matters a lot. Like there's going to be 
uh, like there'll be like brittle spots on your enemy. So if you damage that, it'll take mm. like double or triple damage. So the positioning is like a hugely important aspect that kind of evolves the card game mechanics beyond, you know, what you normally see. I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this a try. I, there's something about card games, no matter how much that it's not even really a card game that I just, it's not aesthetically, I don't know. There's something about the feel of it that doesn't always click with me. And once I finally get into them, I get into it, but it, it, it it's really hard for me to convince myself to give them a try. I think part of this, maybe the reason that I'm into this one so much is that this game has some of the best controller controls that I've mm. seen in the genre in quite some time. A lot of these, which includes Slay of the Spire, which I love, and even like a Monster Train, a lot of these card games don't feel great to play when you're using a controller. Sometimes that's because you're like scrolling through like 20 different cards and it takes forever or the text is too small, whatever. I played this on Steam Deck and it felt like really, really good. And, uh, you know, you're using the triggers to like shift your ship back and forth, the bumpers to move the turrets back and forth. It just like all felt very thought out, which I which I really enjoyed. Um, I also want to let you know, you made a, a cute little Japanese pun by accident. Oh, boy, I'm so excited. You, you, you said uh, it's kawaii, um, which means scary. What? Um, and kawaii is cute. Oh, uh, I know. I I make this all the time, and I always get corrected. But wow. I love that Kawaii and Kawaii are so close together and mean completely different things. <laughs> um, hey, why not both? It should be Kawaii Kawaii. Yeah, I really like this game. I'm I'm really looking forward to hear it. I I made Justin shut up and not talk about his feelings about it, <laughs> so we could do this episode first. Hopefully he is uh, over it and is willing to talk about it uh, in this forthcoming episode of The Besties uh, because I'm very curious. But thank you to everyone that uh, recommended this game because it is really, really good. It sure has the fragrance of a game that Justin will bring up off and on for the next 12 months. (laughs) Yeah. And then we will be talking about it at the end of the year. Um, It definitely... If it catches people in the right zone, I have a feeling we'll be talking about a lot more. So for that reason alone, I should definitely give it a try. For sure. Um, Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, Cool. I think that that kind of brings us towards the end. We we have uh, other stuff that you've been enjoying. How how, has there what what are what are your honorable mentions? Um, I finished Letterkenny. Oh. I think I mentioned that I had started Letterkenny uh, sometime last year and kind of just absorbed it as like a really fantastic show. It's streaming on Hulu. I guess if you're in Canada, you can watch it on Crave, whatever that is. What the hell? But there's 12 seasons. The seasons are short. They're only like six episodes a pop. And I just loved it. I thought it was so unique and... uh, the writing was so spectacular and really charming and warm hearted. And uh, yeah, it had like a nice, really strong send off. I'm also a fan of Shorzy, which is their kind of spin off hockey show. Uh, and yeah, no, it was great. So if you, if you haven't watched it, you're looking for like a fun, lighthearted comfort show, kind of in the vein of a King of the Hill, I think is probably the closest analog. Really, really enjoyed it. Cool. Um, I did not play Against the Storm, 
But I want to shout it out because it is the other game that our uh, commenters have been championing a lot. And I, I, I'm going to try it. I promise. And now that I've said it out loud on the show, I have to because that's how these things work. How soon will I do it? I can't guarantee. Uh, but I will Now against give the it- storm, uh, the fact that it came out December 8th, I think it probably makes it eligible if if we end up really loving it, eligible for game of the year for 2024. I but mean, it does look cool. It's a it's like a spooky city builder, a kawaii yeah. city builder. Oh, good job. Um, I I think it's definitely <laughs> eligible um, for next year. I I mean, we first should you know play it and see if we like it. But uh, it, Steam yeah, it seems to like it. Ninety three percent on Steam. Um, so I guess it's you know, great. I honestly, I don't even care about that. I care <laughs> about the people who listen to our show and tell us it's good. Those are the only people who matter to me. I don't, I right. don't even look at Steam reviews anymore. I only look at the comments in our newsletter because That's very the smart. only people I know who have taste. Um, speaking of, if you want to be part of our newsletter, you can do that for free. You can go sign up at besties.fan. Um, if you want to know what else we've been enjoying, uh, well, let me just tell you right now, uh, it's a three and a half hour French movie that I uh, didn't talk about last time. And uh, I'm not going to talk about it this time either. I'm just going to keep kicking the can. It's going to be like Matt Damon on uh, on a late night show. You never know if he's actually going to show up. Um, and actually, one last thing. So Frush and I have been talking and figuring out what are we going to do for besties and resties and talking with um, Justin Griffin about that too. Um, for... The next year, um, this is the time where we put together this big calendar uh, and we come up with our series that we want to do and we get it all mapped out. And of course, we like make room for adjustments and surprise games along the way. But this is the moment. Um, this year, we want to involve y'all. Uh, we have a much easier way of doing it now with the newsletter. So we are putting together a poll specifically for rescues to kick things off to hear more about what you like best. What are the types of episodes that you love to hear? What would you like to hear more of that maybe we don't even do right now? Um, And you'll be able to find that uh, in the current newsletter issue that is live with this episode. So if you go to bestuse.fan right now, assuming that you're listening to the episode uh, around the time that it came out, you'll find it and you can give us some feedback and that will help us a ton to make sure that we are creating a show that y'all really enjoy. Yeah, we'll basically give you like a big list of formats of like different types of episodes or segments that we've done. And you just pick your three favorite uh, of those. I mean, it's uh, we appreciate if you have more than three favorites, but it's always good to know what like comes to the uh, top of your list. And it'll help us uh, maybe do that more often. Yeah. And you can always leave your own ideas in the comments. We always. Yes, please do. Um, it was the comments that saved us with um, some tips for how we improved our predictions this year. So, oh yeah, uh, that was always great. somebody there to help. Did we uh, ever figure out who that was? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't we, we'll figure it out eventually. We'll figure it out. I'm really sorry to that person. Our they patron such state. a huge solid. I know. Um, our patron bestie. Uh, that's it. We did another episode. Um, Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, share it with a friend, leave a review, like and subscribe, subscribe to besties.fan, do all those things. And I am Christopher Thomas Plant. You are Russ Frustick. And this has been another episode of The Resties. 
where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. Resties. Resties.